Wherever cancer is, Hancock Health will fight. In any part of you and in all corners of East Central Indiana. From Indianapolis to Greenfield to Knightstown to Rushville. From hospital rooms to family rooms, we fight. With technology and medicine. With care backed by the wisdom of Mayo Clinic. For you, for your family, and for your future in Rush County. We fight cancer here. HancockHealth.org slash cancer. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. It's great to be with you. It's great to start on time. We're not delayed by IU football today, which is kind of nice. Uh, and we've got the full two hours. And by the way, since we have the full two hours, we want to take your calls throughout the show. You have a question or a comment, uh, 317-239-9393. That's 317 239 9393. You can also watch uh, the live stream. As I always say, I'm not much to look at, but if you want to uh, go on YouTube and uh, watch the show in addition to listening to it, you can do that. Go to YouTube and just search for 93WIBC or The Gun Guy. Either way, and it should pop right up. I'm looking at it and uh, I need to turn the lighting on uh, because right now you basically just see uh, dark shadows and a white hat. That's pretty much all you're seeing out there right now. But we can fix that here before too long. In the meantime, I want to talk about, as I often do, the continued assaults on our Second Amendment rights and, and, and consistent with what we've seen really across the country, particularly since the Supreme Court's decision in the Bruin case, which just came down last summer, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. And and, and what, what, it, what it said is it, it essentially threw out this balancing test that courts have been using for years in order to justify gun control, where it said, well, if there's a compelling state interest, like keeping citizens safe, then a little bit of infringement is okay. And we look at the degree of infringement, and we balance that essentially against the the, the state's interest in the regulation involved. And, and on that basis, things like so-called assault weapon bans and, and high-capacity magazine bans, again, so-called, what you and I would call standard-capacity magazines. But a lot of those types of regulations have been upheld. Bruin threw all that out. And so, no, the test for determining whether or not a law that regulates Second Amendment rights is constitutional is based on the text, history, and tradition test. And if you watch the confirmation hearings in the Senate Judiciary Committee involving uh, Neil Gorsuch, you know he talked a lot about that when when we weren't talking about how many beers he had in high school and other nonsensical issues that the Democrats tried to interject into the thing in order to derail that confirmation. When we were talking about substance. He talked about that quite a bit because it was it was consistent with decisions that there were opinions that he had written uh, in lower courts, including the D.C. Circuit. And, and what the text, history, and tradition test says is in order to determine whether a law that regulates a constitutional right 
in the Bill of Rights, particularly under the Second Amendment, in order to determine whether that law is constitutional or not, you first look at the, the text of the amendment at issue, the text of the constitutional protection we're looking at. What does it mean? What do the words say? And that's so refreshing for so many of us because for decades, I in particular have been saying, wait a minute, there's nothing confusing about the Second Amendment. A lot of us have said the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed is not ambiguous. It's not confusing. It's very clear what that means. And, and of course, there was a debate over the so-called preamble or the prefatory clause is probably a more accurate way of describing it. The beginning of the Second Amendment that starts off saying a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms should not be infringed. So the argument arose that you had to be in some organized military unit, today the National Guard, Otherwise, you had no Second Amendment rights. You had no rights protected by the Second Amendment. And the Heller decision from 2008 laid that aside. It also interpreted words like well-regulated militia, meaning uh, militia, first of all, means the, the whole of the people, the body of the people. It means the common citizen. And regulated, well-regulated, simply means they were equipped and trained and, and, and prepared to do their job, which is what? To assist in the security of a free state. Free state, including standing up to a tyrannical government. And, and, and the Heller case laid all that out. So we know a lot more. We've confirmed a lot more. We've removed a lot of the, the arguments that have been used against Second Amendment rights for years, including this idea of, well... The Second Amendment was written to protect muskets and swords and flintlock pistols. So if you don't own one of those, you've got nothing protected by the Second Amendment. And the Heller case also said no. The arms protected the right to bear particular arms extends to those lawfully possessed by law-abiding citizens commonly used for lawful purposes by U.S. citizens. And that includes arms that didn't exist at the time of the founding or the time of the ratification of the Second Amendment in 1791. So when you hear some idiot out on social media or on the radio or on TV or whoever, wherever else, who says, oh, yeah, well, you have a musket? Great. You have a Second Amendment right to possess your musket. No other firearms, no other weapons. Are cut wrong. The Supreme Court of the United States has rejected that. They say, oh, well, yeah, are you in the National Guard? Well, then you don't have a Second Amendment right. Well, the Supreme Court threw that out too. So the, the text of the Second Amendment has been, to a very large degree, fully interpreted by the Supreme Court. So we don't have to endure those arguments anymore. But then history and tradition, what does that mean? It means we look at whether or not, based on the text, first of all, a given law infringes on the Second Amendment, if it does, if it implicates Second Amendment rights, then you look at whether at the time of the ratification of the Second Amendment, which is 1791, or at the time the 14th Amendment was ratified, which extended the Bill of Rights to the states. That was 1868. 
we look at whether or not similar laws existed that were found to be lawful and constitutional. In other words, does the history and tradition of the regulation of a particular right support the idea that a particular law today is constitutional? And once that test came out, a lot of us celebrated because the the particular, if you listen to the gun guy show, you've heard me mention this before. The particular issue in the New York case, the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, the one that came down last June or July, the particular issue was whether New York's may issue licensing scheme. In other words, some government official got to decide who got a license to carry a handgun and who didn't based on their need. Did they have some existing, some existential threat to their safety at that time? Over and above the common population, over and above the 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 need of, of, of a general law-abiding citizen to defend themselves, defend their family, you essentially had to have some ongoing threat against you at the time in order to get a handgun license in New York. You had to demonstrate, you had to prove you had a sufficient need to exercise your Second Amendment rights to bear arms. And appropriately, the Bruin case said, oh, hell no, it's not based on need. That turns a constitutional right into a state-granted privilege. That's not how the Bill of Rights works. And that's why that was tossed. It was thrown out. And, and a, lot of, a lot of people looked at that case and said, well, okay, unless you live in New York or one of the other seven or eight states, Connecticut, Maryland, Hawaii, California, a couple of others, that had these may-issue systems, uh, then the Bruin case didn't do much for you. And I was right here on the radio, man. I've been saying it for over a year. Oh, no. No, the test that Supreme Court delineated on how we determine whether a gun control law is constitutional or not, all these current gun control proposals and a lot of existing laws, you know, uh, uh, proposals for a so-called assault weapon ban, Again, I hate using assault weapon. We, you and I know that's a political term made up to demonize the most commonly owned rifles in America. There are so-called high-capacity magazine beams. And a lot of other regulations that are either being proposed or exist today can't, just simply can't survive that test. Well, what did a federal court just say on Friday about the law, the federal law that says you can't buy a handgun Unless you're 21 years old. That is, buy a handgun from a federal firearms licensee, a retail gun shop. That law has been around for a while, since the Brady Bill. Well, does it survive the text, history, and tradition test? And isn't this germane to us right here in central Indiana? I'm, I'm broadcasting for Marion County right now. And what's going on in Marion County? A couple of things. There's an ordinance that's already passed the Indianapolis City County Council that depended upon state law being amended so as to allow it to go into effect, you got to be 21 to buy any firearm, not just a handgun. That's currently the law is in under federal law across the whole country. But to even buy a rifle or a shotgun, you'd have to be 21 under this Indianapolis ordinance. And as I've talked about quite a bit here on the show, we have a state legislator, Fadi Kadura, who's floating a bill around now. I'm sure it'll be filed soon that would amend the Indiana Firearms Preemption Act that otherwise 
prohibits local governments like the city of Indianapolis from regulating firearms. It would amend that to allow the city of Indianapolis to do exactly what it wants to do. And it, this is several different gun control measures, a so-called assault weapon ban and others, repealing constitutional carry so as to require a gun permit even for law-abiding citizens in Marion County and denying 18 to 20-year-olds their right to possess or purchase is the better word, purchase any firearm in Marion County. What did a federal court just say about the federal law that requires you to be 21 just to buy a handgun? Well, that's what we'll get into when we come back, and we'll talk about the implications of this decision on what our renowned mayor here, Joe Hogsett, and the Marion County City County Council have in store for you if and when they're allowed to do so by by an amendment to federal law. Right now we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Guy Relford for gun safety and cleaning for dummies. You know, I know a lot of folks know this, some people don't, but you know the dummies line of how-to books like Accounting for Dummies or Microsoft Word for Dummies. Well, I wrote Gun Safety and Cleaning for Dummies. Well, back in 2012, it's just as accurate today as it was then. And we're selling those and uh, today on the website, tactical-firearms.com. A lot of people are picking this up because it's a great stocking stuffer for the new or even the experienced gun owner in your life. And people are, are, are buying a lot of these right now. And we'd love to see you uh, pick one up as well before they sell out. It's on its last printing. So when we sell out of the current printing, that'll be it. But it's Gun Safety and Cleaning for Dummies. It's a quick read. It's only 68 pages, but gives vital information on safe gun handling, safe gun use, safe gun storage, and a whole lot of other issues, including a detailed discussion of how to clean a handgun. You can pick one up at tactical-firearms.com. Just click on Gun Safety and Cleaning for Dummies at tactical-firearms.com. Second to none on the Second Amendment. This is the Gun Guy with Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. And welcome back to the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Let me get back into this issue of a federal court ruling on the constitutionality of the federal law. This is a law that applies to us right here in Indiana, and it certainly implicates the proposed law they want to pass in Marion County, well, they have passed it in Marion County. It's just contingent on state law being amended so as to allow Marion County to put it into effect. And, you know, I I, I showed up at the committee hearing on it. It was the Public Safety Committee, if I recall correctly, uh, of the Marion County, Indianapolis City County Council. And I said, as to each of these provisions of this ordinance that they wanted to pass, and listen, I knew this was going to fall on deaf ears, so we're talking about the super majority of Democrats in the city county council. So I knew nobody cared, but I wanted to shame them a little bit to say, none of these proposals that you have in this ordinance stand a chance in hell of being found to be constitutional. I said, I'll be the lawyer to sue you, and I'm going to win. And I don't understand why the lawyers that advise the city county council over there in the city county building would, would ever tell anyone that these things will pass constitutional muster, especially since the Bruin case came down. And at one point I got a little sarcastic and I said, I got to believe your lawyers were absent the day they taught law in law school. 
because this just doesn't hold up. But we'll get more into that in just a minute. In the meantime, we've had Ken call in, and Ken has a question. Ken, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Hey there, guy. Long time listener, first time caller. Uh, <laughs> okay. I had a quick question hey, for Ken, you. Ken, I got to tell you, before you ask your question, I got to tell you yeah. uh, a story. You know, I've been doing my show for nine years now, and my very first show I ever had, I was a guest on other people's shows and, and did some other stuff, but, but I, I had my very first show. And, and I decided early on I wanted to have a call-in show for the whole time, for the whole two hours. And and so I, I started getting calls. And my very first caller, I'm all excited, and uh, I bring the, the caller in. And his name was Chuck. And I said, I said, I said, hey, Chuck, welcome to the Gun Guy Show, man. What do you got for us? And uh, he goes, hey, guy, long-time listener, first-time caller. And, and I immediately started laughing because I'm thinking, okay, this knucklehead doesn't understand this is my first show. And by definition, could not have been a long-time listener, first-time caller. First-time caller, yes, but not the other half. And anyway, and, and, and what he actually says then is, I don't actually know what you're talking about, guy, but whatever it is, I disagree. And I started laughing again going, who is this guy? And all of a sudden, I, I started kind of, tracing the fact that his voice was familiar to me and i went hold on is this chuck gray chuck gray's been my best friend for like 25 years and or longer and it was my best yep. buddy who just called in to mess with me and to this day whenever <laughs> anybody says uh long time listener first time caller i laugh and i think back nine years ago when uh when my buddy chuck completely got one over on me i didn't even realize it was him but anyway sorry for the nostalgia in the meantime <laughs> ken i'll let you ask your question Sure, no, no problem. Uh, I had an opportunity to do some uh, long-range hunting out west, and I was l wanting to have a, a nice bolt-action rifle built yeah. for me. Do you know of any builders in Indiana who specialize in making long-range capable bolt-action rifles? Oh, man. I, you know what? I, another very good buddy of mine, I think, put you up to this, Ken, uh, because this <laughs> is a perfect opportunity. Uh, yeah, a guy named Joe Bell from Bell Precision Rifles. And Bell listen, Precision I, Rifles. And, and, yeah, Bell Precision Rifles, and he's over in Rush County, and it's, oh, what's the name of the little town? I'm going to say like Mulford or something like that. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's, a, it's a small town, but you go to bellprecisionrifles.com. And listen, Joe has been uh, a friend of mine, and we've done business back and forth. We have no current financial relationship, commercial relationship, so this is not... Uh, compensated endorsement by any means, but Joe uh, Joe built me a rifle that uh, it's, it's what he refers to as an advanced sniper rifle in 300 Win Mag. Okay, and 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 it is a tack driver like you would not believe, um, and and it's an incredible flat shooter. We put great glass on it, um, but but there are people that come in from all over the world into this little town oh. in, you know, in central Indiana to have Joe build them rifles. And, um, and he's not cheap by any means. In fact, we well, yeah, naturally. Yeah, no, but, but check him out, Ken, because, um, my, my advanced sniper rifle that he built for me, um, it, it far exceeds my ability. Um, people say, how accurate is that rifle? And I always say it's a hell of a lot more accurate than I am. <laughs> and, um, and, and because it's just unbelievably, the trigger on this thing is, and, 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 and the barrels are custom built. Um, the whole thing is just a work of art. So, um, that's who I would absolutely recommend to you. So check that out. Well, do appreciate it. Thank All you. Right. Yeah. No, thanks for your call. Let's get back into the discussion. And, um, 
and and about this case uh, in West Virginia, and and what it is is, is a couple of uh, eighteen to twenty year olds challenge this law that says under federal law, this is part of the Brady Bill, part now part of the uh, Gun Control Act of nineteen sixty eight as amended. It says uh, you can't buy a handgun from a retailer unless you're 21. And let's talk about how colossally stupid that law is. For instance, here in Indiana, and this is true in a lot of other states, how old do you have to be in Indiana to carry a handgun? Again, we have constitutional carry now, which we just got passed last July, but even long predating constitutional carry, how old did you have to get, how old did you have to be to get a license to carry handgun. And that's what we call it, by the way, in Indiana. We don't call it a concealed carry permit or a CCL or a CCW or any other any other term that has the word concealed in it because we've never been required to conceal a handgun to carry it in Indiana if you had a license historically. And same is true under constitutional carry. But how old did you have to be historically to get a license to carry handgun? 18. How, how old did you have to be for someone to lawfully, as a private citizen, sell you a handgun or any other firearm, 18. So my next-door neighbor, who's 19 years old, can walk over and go, man, guy, I know you carry that SIG 365 X macro. I've been wanting one of those. Uh, I'd really like to buy yours. Would you sell me that gun? Unless I know him to be a prohibited possessor who can't buy his own gun for reasons other than age that's built right into the statute, I can sell him my handgun. Totally legal. And he could have already had a license to carry a handgun now under constitutional carry. How old do you have to be in Indiana to carry under constitutional carry? 18. So state of Indiana says you can carry a handgun. State of Indiana says I can sell you a handgun at 18. Federal law says you can't walk into a gun store and buy one unless you're 21. That law was challenged. And a federal court, this was in West Virginia, just on Friday, said, oh, hell no. Under the Bruin test, text, history, and tradition, are 18 to 20-year-olds, do they have a Second Amendment right at all? Well, of course they do. They can go into the military and pilot a drone or run an artillery unit and certainly be issued a select fire M4 or any other man, run a Maud Deuce or an M60, any other, they can run a belt-fired, a belt-fed automatic machine gun in the military. Again, drive a tank. Totally okay. They get out of the military, come home, they can't walk into a gun store and buy a handgun until they're 21. Does that make any sense to you? But under the text history and tradition test, what this court in West Virginia say, and what implications does that have across the rest of the country, including here in Indiana? That's what we'll get into when we come back. Right now, we're a little past the bottom of the hour. We're taking a break. I see a couple other people have called. We'll go back to the phone lines when we come back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. The show about gun rights, gun safety, and responsible gun ownership. This is The Gun Guy with Guy Relford on 93 WIPC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIPC. And by the way, I'm I'm looking at the YouTube feed, and I see some of my buddies on there, including uh, Kelly from Avon. Um, 
And I saw Kelly just here a couple nights ago where uh, I participated in, a, in an event out at uh, Premier Arms. And Premier Arms, they're the sponsor of Monday Gunday. If you listen to Hammer and Nigel every Monday, I do a segment on there we call Monday Gunday. And, and Premier Arms, they're nice enough to sponsor that. They had me out. And they had a candidate for Congress who actually is running for Congress uh, to be my congressman. Uh, this is for District 4. It's kind of a redefined district. I used to, Where I live in Zionsville, it used to be in District 5. For instance, uh, Victoria Sparts was my congresswoman. Well, they, those things have been realigned. I'm now in District 4, um, where the incumbent, Jim Baird, uh, has, I think he's on his third term now. Uh, but he's facing a couple uh, Republican primary challengers, including uh, Craig Haggard. And you've heard Craig here on the show. Craig and I go way back, uh, U.S. Marine fighter pilot. Uh, I knew him when he was actually working for NRA, fighting for Second Amendment rights back then. And so uh, he's been solid. In fact, he passed some pro two-way bills uh, his very first uh, session in the Indiana General Assembly uh, here. And now he's decided to to move on up uh, and uh, and also run for the 4th District. But um, a gentleman who's running also as a Republican in that same primary election uh, was a guy named Charles Bookwalter. And uh, he was having this event, and, and the, the topic of the discussion was defund the ATF. And here later in the show, probably in the second hour, I'll get into some of the things we talked about, but but I got an invitation to come out. And, and listen, I have not endorsed... Uh, Mr. Bookwalter, again, another veteran, guy as a special forces guy, as a Green Beret. After he was already a Green Beret, went back and uh, became a Ranger as well, going to Ranger school after he was already a, a Green Beret, did three combat tours uh, over in the sandbox. And and so he, he clearly is a good guy, um, but we've got uh, other good people running for that, 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 that same seat. And we'll see how that unfolds. I'm sure I'll be making an endorsement uh, on behalf of the 2A project, because that's what we do. But uh, at any rate, so I wasn't there endorsing anyone or supporting anyone, but I was there specifically to talk about defunding the ATF, because the ATF is an agency that needs to be defunded. And I'll I'll talk about more, uh, more about that in the second hour as well. But we had a good group of folks who who showed up out there. And I got to tell you, it reminded me of when, you know, we, we would have bills up for committee hearings, like constitutional carry over and over again, over many years. But other things like our self-defense immunity bill that I wrote and we got passed into law in 2019, church carry, which we also got passed 2019. And, uh, and a lot of the same folks, uh, my friend Erica uh, was there, uh, my buddy Jesse, another SF guy, a Navy SEAL. Uh, who cares deeply about Second Amendment rights. Uh, he was there. And, and a lot of folks, uh, I don't know if they, it's because they live in that area uh, or because they're, they, they they just wanted to attend because these are important issues to them, but it was really neat to see the group of people we had there. And Premier Arms is just such a great group of folks. Now, again, they do sponsor Monday Gunday. There is a financial relationship there, so take that for what it's worth. But it's just a great facility and uh, and it's a great place to to shop for guns or ammo or accessories, and uh, but I, so I was honored to be there, and it was nice to meet Mr. Bookwalter, uh, and we'll see where that race goes, and I'm sure I'll have a lot more to say about that. Again, I go way back with Craig Haggard, and know him to be a strong advocate for Second Amendment rights, and to be 
uh, a good man generally. So I'll have a lot more to say on that race. But in the meantime, I just I've noticed some of the same folks pop up either on uh, asking me questions on social media or on the YouTube feed. And I just wanted to, to say hey to those folks. Um, in the meantime, I'll tell you what, before we get back into the discussion on this ruling that the federal law requiring you to be 21 to buy a handgun is unconstitutional, let's go back to the phone lines. And when David has called in, David, welcome to the Gun Guy Show. Hey, good evening, Guy. Thanks for everything that you do. Thanks, man. Hey, question for you. So back when pistol braces were legal, yeah, I had a... There was a buddy of mine that he ended up buying one, but he he passed away, and he gifted it to another friend, or it was gifted to a friend after he after he died. Now, the pistol brace isn't on or attached to anything; it's yeah. just you know in the box. So, uh, define the law is can can a person sell that, or do they need to turn it in, or what what has to happen with that? Pistol brace. Yeah, well, and I'll talk more about pistol braces. I never really have completely done a deep dive, um, more of just a summary on where we are on pistol braces. But um, all we, there's never, there's not been a ruling from ATF or otherwise that uh, pistol braces are illegal, that, that essentially they're contraband, like a bump stock was found to be. Although that bump stock ban, as I've talked about here on the show, has been uh, that that issue has been accepted by the Supreme Court, and we'll we'll see oral argument here early in the year, and we'll see where that goes. But for instance, you can have a pistol brace on a firearm that doesn't make it illegal. If the if it's if it's on a firearm that has a barrel less than 16 inches, then the ATF says you have to register that as an SBR. But it's not illegal. You just have to register it as a short-barreled rifle. And if you do, it's totally legal. You could also have a pistol brace on a firearm with a barrel over 18 in inches, and you don't have to do anything. That's just a rifle and not a short-barreled rifle. It doesn't have to be registered. So since there are lawful applications for that same accessory, you don't have uh, – it's not – I mean, there's no argument that it's unlawful just to possess one. Now, ATF talks about there being something called constructive possession of a NFA-regulated item, NFA National Firearms Act, like a short-barreled rifle. So, for instance, if, if, if ATF for some reason you know, came into your house and they found, say, in the same drawer or in the same box uh, an AR lower receiver, a pistol brace, and an upper with a 12-inch barrel, there is an argument ATF has, has, has not successfully made in 20 or 30 years. But there's an argument to say, ah, you have all the parts right there to make a short-barreled rifle, including the pistol brace. The lower and the upper with a short barrel on it, that's constructive possession of an SBR. You didn't register it, therefore you're breaking the law. ATF has not won a constructive possession case. In fact, they lost constructive possession cases here fairly recently. They haven't won one in decades and decades. They will threaten you with that. I can still see somebody getting arrested for it. So I wouldn't want to have all those parts in one place um, to give ATF an argument about constructive possession. But in the meantime, just possession of the brace itself or even selling it is not illegal because there are perfectly legal applications, even given the ATF's ruling on pistol braces and the pistol brace ruling has been found to be unconstitutional, not here in Indiana, but in other uh, jurisdictions, including the Fifth Circuit, 
that uh, controls federal appeals out of Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. So I think we'll get a, a broader ruling. But that's where we are on pistol braces. In the meantime, we're a little past the three-quarter hour, so we're taking a break. We'll come back. We've got another uh, caller or two online, so we'll go back to the phone lines. And eventually we'll get back to this discussion of uh, the ruling saying that the federal requirement to be 21 to buy a handgun is unconstitutional. And we'll talk about the implications of that for us here in Indiana. Right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. Guy Relford for Pinnacle Firearms in Carmel. You know, I've known these folks for years and years and years. In fact, V.A. Atkins, the owner of Pinnacle Firearms, he and I have been friends for a good 30 or 40 years. He's a good man, and he runs a great shop. Uh, check them out at 598 West Carmel Drive in Carmel. That's just uh, north of the intersection of Clark Street and Carmel Drive. It's a great place for firearms, accessories, or ammunition. And one of the few gun stores I know where they have a full-time certified gunsmith on premises all the time they're open. Uh, Ethan is their, is their, is their uh, gunsmith, and he's done work for me. They also do custom refinishing. And I've posted pictures on social media of the urban camo Cerakote finish that they put on my 870 Police Magnum short-barreled shotgun, and it is something to behold. It is absolutely beautiful. They can do that and a whole heck of a lot more there. So firearms, accessories, ammunition, gunsmithing, and refinishing, check out my friends at Pinnacle Firearms, either online at pinnacle-firearms.com or stop by and see them at 598 West Carmel Drive, in Carmel. That's Pinnacle Firearms in Carmel. Your rights, your responsibilities, your guns. This is The Gun Guy with Guy Relford on 93 WIPC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIPC. We've got kind of a short segment here, but I'll tell you what, we've got uh Jeff on hold and has been on hold for a while. So before we round out this uh, first hour, let's get to the phone lines. And Jeff, you had a question, buddy? Guy, in the first place, thank you for representing the state of Indiana on the Second Amendment and for all that you do in the country. Oh, thank you, man. That means a lot to me. I appreciate you. You're appreciated. Hey, I got a quickie. Sure. Okay, so I'm an avid hunter. I've been a hunter all my life, and I have a renegade. Now, this is kind of a goofy question. I have an old Thompson Renegade, and I'm going to be honest with you, I was an old deer hunter forever, and the last bullets that I bought was a Sabbath, and I haven't hunted out of that thing. The powder's dry, but I don't want to go out and just shoot it, right, and blow the hammer off of it and just in case. Right. So I want to know, look, it's got the plastic Sabbath, that you, you know, the yellow tip or whatever in it because we switched uh, bullets from, from uh, brass to, or to copper to whatever. Yeah. So do you know anybody that's familiar with those so I don't have to go be an idiot, shoot it, you know what I mean? And I haven't shot it in two years. It's set in my garage, but I don't want the kids to get it, my grandchildren and everything else when I get older and they get that gun and it's still loaded. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I would take it to my buddies at Pinnacle Firearms. You know, I just did an ad for them. I don't know if that's convenient for you to get to Carmel. Um, but and, and but, but whatever you do, make sure you, you, you communicate ahead of time. I would even call and make sure they understand the condition the firearms in, uh, in, in terms of being able to handle it safely. Uh, when you take it in there, but give them as much information as you can on what's going on with the ammo and the gun. 
but I, I, I would say take it there. And, and, and if for any reason they can't help you, um, because of the, of the, you know, idiosyncrasies with that particular firearm, I, I, I'd be shocked if they couldn't refer you to somebody else specific or maybe even give them a call. Um, but you know, I, I, I like these guys. They're my buddies. I advertise for them. There is a commercial relationship there, but, um, since they have a full-time gunsmith on staff, that'd be the first place I'd go, Jeff. Thank you so much for your, all right, man. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what, we've only got about a minute left, but, uh, let me tell you why. Uh, one of the reasons why there are several reasons why I was excited to see this ruling out of West Virginia, and that is that it's another example. And and, and man, that's a long list of examples we're starting to see. Um, and this is going to be true of so-called assault weapon bans that we've seen instituted across the country in states like uh, California and New York and, and many many others, uh, and, and 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 other restrictions, including. Uh, nonviolent felons not being able to possess firearms, um, and a whole host of others that are relatively recent inventions. A lot of them are, are part of the Brady Bill. It really was passed in '94. That arise out of 1968 uh, Gun Control Act, and we've got another example of a law, a recent invention, being stricken and held to be unconstitutional. It's just, the, it's just the beginning. We've got more to go. Right now, we're at the end of the first hour, so we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the Gun Guy. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIBC. All right, welcome back for hour number two of the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. We're thrilled to have you with us. I mentioned before the break that I was out at Premier Arms here uh, Thursday night. And... Uh, uh, and, and, and I was pleased to be there because the topic was defunding the ATF. And, and my friend uh, Casey Daniels, uh, you know her from the Mid-Morning Show uh, where, that she co-hosts. Uh, Casey's good people, and, uh, and she got invited to sort of emcee this thing. And, uh, and given the topic uh, of defunding the ATF and whatnot, um, she invited me to come out as well, and I was happy to to accept that invitation. And 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 you know, it's kind of interesting when you look at the topic defunding the ATF. I mean, the ATF is essentially a law enforcement agency with specific responsibilities. And I could be accused of hypocrisy, frankly. Because I've been very vocal in opposing these liberal groups who are out advocating for defunding the police. Right? We saw out of the summer of love, as Hammer and Nigel always talk about it in 2020, uh, after the George Floyd murder, as it turned out, and and and, and a lot of folks in, in getting uh, very adversarial with police departments across the country. I mean, burning down police stations, and and, and then we've since seen an absolute war on cops. And and my friend Rick Snyder, the 
president of FOP Lodge 86 that represents rank and file law enforcement officers here in central Indiana. You know, he's been on my show. Uh, I've interviewed him as I've subbed for Tony Katz or, or I've been on Hammer and Nigel. And he's talked about this war on cops and, and how this defund the police effort is really very damaging. It's damaging to the morale of law enforcement and it's dangerous because where law enforcement officers, your rank and file police officers, don't have the support they need, either because they don't have the manpower they need, and they all were down, I think, a couple of hundred officers. Last time I saw, right here in Indianapolis, as far as IMPD, is way behind on staffing. Well, you don't have enough officers on the street. You don't have enough backup for your, your officers that are on duty. Then that becomes a very dangerous situation. And so this whole defund the police effort that the, the liberals are out, the, the the anti-police, the, the progressives, the Democrats, whatever, whatever group you want to ascribe it to, I think they're, they're pushing a very dangerous agenda. So, so was I being a hypocrite for being at Premier Arms discussing the topic of defunding the ATF, being essentially a law enforcement agency? Well, I want to I want to talk about that a little bit and talk about why I enthusiastically accepted that inv- that invitation. Again, it was a person running for Congress that I had not met before, so I, I was certainly not there to endorse or support their campaign. Although I liked him, Charles Bookwalter, good guy, clearly a, 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 a heroic veteran, and and had a lot of good things to say. And I'll have a lot more to say about that race, including other candidates, including somebody I have to acknowledge as my friend was Craig Haggard. Uh, also a combat veteran and a U.S. Marine fighter pilot and someone who's already been fighting for Second Amendment rights for quite some time, including as, as part of NRA. That's when I met him originally. But, but, but we'll get into that race uh, as that primary gets much closer next spring. In the meantime, let's talk about defunding the ATF because, because again, I thought long and hard about this. And, and I don't want to have any law enforcement agency out there not have the resources it needs or the staffing it needs to be able to do their job safely. So that's issue number one. When I'm talking about defunding the ATF, I'm talking about potentially disbanding the ATF. And there's been discussion of that because they've really lost, in my mind, their direction of really serving the role they were intended to, to serve when they were founded. And, and we say ATF. It's actually B-A-T-F-E. It's Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. So you got alcohol in there. You got tobacco in there. And firearms and explosives. And, and there's, there's a great T-shirt or bump sticker, bumper sticker out there that talks about alcohol, tobacco, firearms, and explosives. They shouldn't be a law enforcement agency. It should be a convenience store. I always chuckle. When I see that, whether it's a meme or a T-shirt or whatever it happens to be. But the the ATF, in terms of its regulation of firearms in particular, I think has lost its way. And and they've, they've lost their way in large part because they have been weaponized by whatever administration is in the White House at the time to really go out and infringe the rights of law abiding citizens. And I see it. This is what I do for a living. My primary job, as my wife always says, I've got too many jobs. I'm a firearms instructor. I have the radio show. 
I wrote a book, the Gun Safety and Cleaning for Dummies book. And 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 but my main job, ninety percent of my time, and my resources are are devoted to the practice of law as a Second Amendment lawyer. And and I've had a number of clients over the years who have really been victimized by a weaponized ATF. And this happens at a number of different levels. First of all, there's the there's the political side, and it, where the 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 people at the very top of the agency, these are the political appointees, including some lifers who are, you know, staffers. None of these people are elected. If you don't like something the ATF is doing, pardon for the noise there, my microphone kind of wants to come apart from the stand here, so I'm wrestling with that a little bit while I'm talking on the radio. But, but, but the... The, the people who are appointed, people that are hired into the ATF, including at the very highest levels, nobody elected them. They're just an employee of an administrative agency, an executive agency, part of the executive branch under the president. And if you don't like something the ATF's doing, you don't vote against them in the next election because they were never elected to begin with. And we could broaden the discussion to say this is part of what I think is one of the greatest travesties in this country. One is the runaway debt, but sticking closer to home for the gun guy show, the other incredibly horrific development over the last couple of hundred years, certainly the last hundred years, has been the creation and the per- permissiveness associated with the, with with a, an entirely unconstitutional, in my mind, fourth branch of government that has arisen in this country, completely inconsistent with the the intention of the founders. The structure of government we have, as defined by this beautiful document, our United States Constitution, the freedoms that you and I enjoy and and that the founders intended for us to enjoy, to a very large degree, we're going to be specifically protected and secured through the separation of powers, that no one agency, no one branch of government would have all the power consolidated in it, that being the legislative power, that is the ability to make laws, including laws that can send you to jail, the executive, which is to the enforcement of the law, and the judicial, which is the interpretation of the law where you create separation of powers and you insist on that separation, you have checks and balances. Where you allow all power to be consolidated in one branch of government, you lose freedom. That is as unavoidable as the sun coming up in the east. And the founders knew that, and that's why they insisted on separation of powers. But what do we have today? We have this fourth branch of government, that is the administrative agencies of the federal government, and frankly, this exists at the state level too. Look at all the power the different health departments, including the state health department, had during COVID. Shutting down businesses, people putting people out of business, not allowing people to go to work, restricting travel. 
creating rules that affected your lives dramatically. Well, at the federal level, the IRS can pass rules that can land you in prison. The IRS can do it. The EPA can and does to put you in prison. That's legislative. Passing those rules, that's a legislative function. They can interpret their own rules in the sense that we have this ridiculous Chevron deference. You can Google that. It comes out of a case involving Chevron Corporation where the Supreme Court said, well, these are the experts on the regulations that they administer. So since they're the experts, we sh- the courts really defer to administrative agencies on their interpretation, not only of the regulations that they enforce, but on the breadth of their regulatory ability to begin with. That is the scope of what they've been delegated to do by Congress. They can interpret that themselves. What's that? Interpreting laws, interpret, including the interpretation of the, your own breadth of responsibility, that's judicial. And then enforcement of law, that's executive. Well, that's what they were intended to do. But we've allowed one branch of government that this, the founders of this country never intended to exist at all to possess all powers, legislative, executive, and judicial. It's not the way the founders created this country. In fact, they, they worked long and hard. Read the Federalist Papers on separation of powers to protect our liberties, to protect the freedoms that they put into the Constitution. They insisted on separation of powers. That's not what we have. So now let's we'll talk about ATF specifically. Does the ATF pass regulations, pass rules itself that can land you in prison? Oh, hell yes. I know I defend the cases. Did Congress create the bump stock ban? No. ATF did. Congress didn't. Did Congress create the requirement to register your your braced pistol with a pistol brace on it as an SBR? No. ATF did that. Did Congress do anything to say that the kits you can buy to assemble your own gun, including unfinished lower receivers, that those are now firearms and shall be regulated as firearms. And if you sell those, you have to be an FFL, a federal firearms licensee. And if you, if you aren't, you can go to prison for five years. Did Congress do that? No, the ATF did that. And the list goes on and on and on. We're well past the quarter hour. It's time to take a break. But now I'm just talking about the administrative side and the policy side. I'm not even talking about the enforcement side or the industry regulation side. I'm going to get into all those issues talking about why I was there supporting the idea of dramatically limiting the scope of authority for the ATF. You want to call that defunding the ATF? Okay. I think I'm thinking in more specific terms, which is pulling back on the reins and restricting the rights of this government agency that has way too much ability not only to influence your life, but to put you in prison. As an executive agency, it's not the way the brilliant, brilliant, brilliant founders of this great country ever envisioned it operating. No way, no how, not a chance in hell. And we'll talk more about that when we come back. Give us a call, 317-239-9393. Right now we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Guy Relford for Gun Safety and Cleaning for Dummies. You know, my book, I wrote this back in 2012, but it absolutely holds true. Uh, That is every bit of it today. Uh, Gun Safety and Cleaning for Dummies. I wrote it a while back, but it's 68 pages, so it's a a short read. 
But it's part of the, the famous Dummies line of how-to books from Wiley & Sons Publications. I wrote it back in 2012, and I continue to sell them. It's on its last printing. So when this printing is sold, then that'll be it. But they're still available as we speak. And a lot of people are picking these up as stocking stuffers, for, especially for the new gun owner in your life. It's only 68 pages, so it's a quick read. It contains a detailed discussion of the, the, the of the rules for safe gun handling, safe gun use, and safe gun storage, and much, much more, including a complete guide for cleaning your handgun. It's only $8.95 plus $2 in shipping, so you can pick it up uh, economically at tactical-firearms.com. Just click on Gun Safety and Cleaning for Dummies at tactical-firearms.com. Now you've got a gun guy. Guy Relford on 93 WIPC. Welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. I'm talking about the ATF. And, and listen, I'm talking about the policy side. And that is the ATF passing regulations that can put you in prison. And, 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 and how completely antithetical that is to the design our brilliant founders had for this country. That's, that's Congress's job. That, that, that's a legislative function. And I got to tell you, I, I say it often, I, I voted for the guy enthusiastically twice. If he's the nominee, I'll vote for him again. But President Trump did us no favors in this area. He really started the tidal wave of regulation by ATF, again, that could put you in prison. And that is after the horrific Las Vegas mass shooting, still the largest mass shooting ever in the history of America. And a lot of people were very concerned about what Congress might do as a result of that shooting. People were worried about a so-called assault weapon ban. But in looking at it, reportedly, and again, there's an awful lot we don't know about that shooting. I, I mention that often here. But reportedly, that shooter who we still know very, very little about, which is just odd. He reportedly used at least one bump stock. And I've heard a lot of guns fire that had bump stocks on them, and, and the, the audio I heard, part of the videos that came out, did not sound in any way like a gun with a bump stock on it. It sounded fully automatic to me. But I never served in the military, so I can't say I'm an authority on that issue. But at any rate, because a bump stock was allegedly used in that mass shooting, President Trump came out. I remember the press conference where he did it. I said, oh, bump stocks are gone. Let me just tell you, bump stocks are gone. And the NRA, and I was very critical of the NRA for this. In fact, right about the time this happened, I thought, you know, that's when I really started thinking about forming a group that I eventually did, the two-way project. Because I'm like, ah, we need a strong, powerful, influential NRA at the national level. But I'm worried about the direction that group's going. And I'm still a benefactor level, life member of NRA. I, I'm, I'm not, I, hope, I hope the NRA gets its head on straight. I hope they completely restructure and restaff, especially at the very highest levels. But that's when I started thinking, mm, we need some help. Because the NRA came out after the Las Vegas shooting, and said, we invite the ATF to re-examine the legality of bump stocks. The NRA, a gun rights group. 
said, well, you know, the ATF ought to take a second look at whether or not these things are illegal. The president of the United States, Republican president of the United States said, oh, they're gone. What did both the NRA and President Trump tell the ATF to do? They told them to legislate. Make something illegal that's not currently illegal. Is that something an executive agency should have any ability to do? No, hell no, that's legislative. Obama wanted to do it. Remember Obama talking about, well, I can't get any gun control through Congress, but I have a phone and a pen. Remember that quote? I have a phone and a pen. What's he talking about? He was talking about calling executive agencies, specifically the ATF, and tell them to make stuff illegal. I think uh, he got counsel to say, well, you can't do that because it's unconstitutional. Why is it unconstitutional? Because Article 1, Section 1, right at the beginning of the Constitution, this is right under the We the People introduction, Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution says all legislative power shall be vested in a Congress of the United States consisting of a Senate and a House of Representatives, called the Vesting Clause. All legislative power. For an executive agency, part of the executive branch, not part of Congress, not part of the legislative branch at all. For them to be able to snap their fingers and create a rule that puts you in prison because you own a bump stock? Oh, yeah, a bump stock's a machine gun. No, it's not. No, it's not. And courts across the country have all, hell, I won a bump stock case in the Northern District of Indiana. That's legislative. President Trump started that. And since then, again, I rattled off some other examples. Now they're looking at forced reset triggers. Oh, that makes it a machine gun. No, it doesn't. Binary triggers are in the crosshairs. Pistol braces, there you go. Now you've got a pistol brace on your pistol. Oh, that's an unregistered SBR. If you have it registered under the NFA, now you're going to go do 10 years in federal prison. Did Congress do that? No, the ATF did that. That's not okay. That's not okay. Should that be attacked as unconstitutional under Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution? Hell, yes. And that's even before you get to the Second Amendment arguments, as reinforced by the Bruin decision last year. But that's not the end of the abuses from ATF. And again, we've got whatever administration's in the White House to blame and the courts to blame to the extent they don't step up and hold these things as unconstitutional, as an, as an, as an unconstitutional exercise of legislative power by an executive agency. The courts have allowed them to do that. The Supreme Court has allowed them to do that. This so-called Chevron deference BS needs to get reined back. Well, there's a bump stock case. I've talked about the Cargill case. That's been accepted by the Supreme Court. They may very likely look at Article 1, Section 1 and Chevron deference as part of that case. I would love to see them yank ATF back dramatically on its ability to legislate. We'll talk more about the problem in that area and go on because we're not done yet. There's an industry operations side. There's an enforcement side. Again, I think this is all based on direction from the very top of the agency as directed by the White House is my personal speculation. But we'll get more into those issues when we come back. Right now, we're taking a break. Give us a call if you want to join the discussion, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. 
He's a Second Amendment attorney. He's an NRA certified firearms instructor. He's the gun guy. Guy Ralford on 93 WIPC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Ralford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. We're talking about an event that I participated in with uh, a gentleman running for Congress, Charles Bookwalter, and Casey Daniels, uh, my friend, uh, co-host of the mid-morning show here on 93 WIBC. And Casey's actually the one that invited me to come out and participate in this. And and we're talking about defunding the ATF. And, I, and I'm talking about all the different ways that ATF's been weaponized against private citizens. And and I'm talking about this rulemaking authority that they've undertaken, which, again, antithetical to our whole system of government, and particularly with the separation of powers. But there, there is a, a Supreme Court rule, a rule of law called the rule of lenity. This may be one you haven't heard of, unless you heard me mention it here on the Gun Guy Show. It's lenity. It kind of looks like leniency, but that's not it. What's the rule of lenity? A rule of lenity is if a, if a statute passed by Congress is ambiguous, like, oh, say, arguably the definition of machine gun, an administrative agency cannot interpret that rule, that law passed by Congress in such a way that can put people in jail. Well, what have they done with bump stocks? They've interpreted Congress's definition of machine gun, which is essentially you get more than one bullet fired from a gun, that is more than one projectile fired by a gun per one manipulation of the trigger. That makes it a machine gun. If you only manipulate the trigger once and get one projectile leaving the gun, that's not a machine gun. Well, a bump stock doesn't convert a semi-automatic into an automatic. It just simply does not. You still have to manipulate the trigger for each shot. But after President Trump told them to do so, they interpreted the definition of machine gun to be, well, kind of, sort of like a machine gun. And that includes a bump stock. Can you go to jail for having an unregistered machine gun, quote-unquote, because you have a bump stock on your semi-automatic rifle? Yes, I've defended that case. Does that violate the rule of lenity? Yeah, absolutely it does. But it doesn't stop there. Look what they did with the definition of firearm. Well, you know, we need to regulate these so-called ghost guns, so if it's a part that you could use to make a firearm, we're just going to call that a firearm. No. Congress defined what a firearm is, and it doesn't include parts, unless it's the actual receiver. So no, no, and hell no. Can you go to jail? Well, sure. And that's the way they intend it. Again, we're, well, how, well, let's, 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 let's redefine how we're interpreting short-barreled rifle, specifically the phrase designed to be fired from the shoulder. It came out and said specifically, no, having a pistol brace on your pistol does not make it a firearm designed to be fired from your shoulder. They said that for 10 years, and they just said, mm, we changed our mind. They just changed their mind at the direction of the Biden administration. Oh, now you have to register your braced pistol as an SBR or you go to prison for 10 years. Does that violate the rule of lenity? Hell yes, it does. No question. And I'm hoping this Cargill case on bump stocks 
really pulls back on the this authority for ATF to pass regulations that'll put you in jail. But that's not where the abuses end. And I see it in my law practice. I also see it on the enforcement side. And look, I've met a lot of the enforcement people from ATF. And the people I've met, the individuals, have for the most part been really good people. A lot of times they're 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 gun people, men and women. They're they're enthusiasts. They shoot. Or they compete on their own time. And I've met some people I really liked. I, I'm sitting, I sat out in front of my office having a cigar with an ATF enforcement agent. And I, I walked away and so, said, man, this guy and I could be good friends. Completely reasonable. But I think the orders are from on high. That is the head of the ATF. And, and that direction comes straight from the White House. I'm absolutely convinced to hassle people and arrest people and, 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 and to work with the U.S. Attorney's Office, those are the lawyers in the Justice Department, to prosecute people that should not be prosecuted. I'll give you an example. And I have a lot more. But I, I had a client who had to hire me because he was being prosecuted for multiple felony counts, almost 20 counts. And this was a guy that came to the attention of the ATF because he had an FFL. He had a federal firearms license. So he was fully licensed by the federal government to buy and sell firearms. He also had his SOT, a special occupational tax, and his manufacturer's license, such that he could actually manufacture not only firearms, but manufacture NFA items, including suppressors. And so he would manufacture suppressors, and he would serialize them. He'd register them with ATF, and then he'd sell them. And a suppressor is not real difficult to manufacture. It's essentially a, a metal tube with a baffle in it, an expansion chamber, a threaded end, threaded ends, depending on what kind of attachment device you're going to use to put it on your firearm, and, and an end cap that's drilled so as to allow the projectile to exit the suppressor. It's not real complex manufacturing. There's an administrative hassle because you've got to register this with ATF. So, so in, in the process of manufacturing suppressors, <laughs> luckily for him, just a good practice by him, he sent an email to ATF, his industry operations guy, and said, hey, when these are quote-unquote complete, that is, my suppressors on manufacturing, I'm supposed to register them. That is, notify ATF I've got a completed suppressor and tell them what the serial number is, along with the dimensions, et cetera, et cetera. And he asked how complete do they need to be. And the response was essentially, when they're fully manufactured, just let us know within 24 hours after it's fully made. Fully made. So he, again, got the attention of ATF because he was selling guns at a gun show. And I'll, let me just tell you, if you're selling guns at a gun show, just expect to be under the microscope from ATF. They are there. They're taking your picture. They've got undercover people trying to buy guns from you. They're interviewing people you've sold guns to. You are under a microscope if you're selling guns at gun shows. Specifically, if you don't have an FFL or even if you do, that's the federal firearms license. But he came in under the under that microscope from ATF, and ATF ends up getting a warrant. They raid his house, and they found I want to say eighteen. It was a, a large number of 
incomplete suppressors, essentially metal tubes that had not even been threaded yet for an end cap. Had not even been threaded yet. There was no end cap on the gun, not on the suppressor. And there couldn't be an end cap because they weren't threaded or welded or any other mechanism that would allow the end cap to be put on the, the, on the suppressor. So with no end cap, it did not function as a suppressor. It was not complete. Following the direction of ATF, once he completed it, at that point he was supposed to tell ATF about it and notify them so that it's registered under NFA as a manufactured item that can then be sold pursuant to the NFA. But they said, well, you know what? These aren't threaded. They aren't complete. They don't have any end caps on them. But let's just call them suppressors and accuse the guy of having unregistered suppressors in his possession and prosecute him for something like 18 counts of a felony of possession of an unregistered NFA item and threaten him with decades and decades and decades of, pr of prison time. Guy has to hire me as his lawyer. Now, did I successfully get all that dismissed? Yes. Did I eat a lot of my fee? Yes. But at the same time, it should have never happened. That's because the ATF has become a very, very large degree a rogue agency. They just want the message to go out. Oh, we'll come mess with you. You ought to just get out of this business. And, and then they'll negotiate with you. Well, you know, we might let some of these counts go. If you just sacrifice, you just give up. Your FFL. They're trying to force federal firearms licensees out of the business. And I think that's a direction that comes on from the very top. It's an attack on your Second Amendment rights. If you have nowhere to buy a gun, do you really have a Second Amendment right? It's an attack on the industry as a backdoor attack on the Second Amendment. I see it. I live it right alongside my clients. We're going to take a break. we come back. We'll wrap up this edition because there's even another area in which the ATF really has become horribly abusive and I think weaponized against American gun owners by the United States government at the very highest levels. We'll come back and wrap up this edition of The Gun Guy Show when we come back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Guy Relford for Pinnacle Firearms. These are my friends located at 598 West Carmel Drive in Carmel. That's just north of Carmel Drive, the corner of Clark Street. Great place for firearms, ammunition, and accessories. They have a full-time gunsmith on premises. Whenever they're open, their gunsmith is there, and they do expert refinishing, including a beautiful urban camo Cerakote they put on my 870 Police Magnum short-barreled shotgun. All that and more you can find at 598 West Carmel Drive at Pinnacle Firearms. Check them out in Carmel or at pinnacle-firearms.com. Second to none on the Second Amendment. This is The Gun Guy with Guy Ralford on 93 WIPC. And welcome back to the last segment of The Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. Tell you, before we wrapped up the show, I want to say uh, a, a particular thanks to producer Kevin. Uh, Kevin stepped in uh, to help out here this evening. And uh, Kevin is normally the producer... Uh, of the mid-morning show that I've mentioned here a couple of times. Does a fabulous job there. You'll hear him uh, there on uh, on uh, WIBC from 9 to noon. Uh, but uh, for him to, to also, in addition to his full-time job during the week, to stop in uh, on Saturday night, give up his uh, at least part of his Saturday evening, come in and help out, I just really, really appreciate. And he does a fabulous job, as you would expect, somebody who does it five days a week. Uh, for a, uh, a very popular show here on WIBC. But at any rate, uh, 
the last area that I want to talk about, one of the reasons that I am such a vocal critic of ATF and where we've ended up with them. And again, I don't, I don't necessarily blame a lot of the rank and file people. I bet a lot of them, particularly in, in enforcement, enforcement, they're the door kickers, man. They're the folks that will show up with body armor and guns and, 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 and they'll kick doors in. They're the ones that carry handcuffs and guns. But there's also another, a whole other group called industry operations. And they're more, I don't mean this part of it negatively. I'll be plenty negative here in a minute. But they're more the administrative side. And listen, for years and years and years, the industry operations folks at ATF were really, they saw as their job, I know I've talked to them about it, they saw as their job helping gun owners, gun store owners, I should say, that is FFLs, Federal Firearms Licensees, they saw their job as helping those gun businesses, those gun stores, stay on the right side of the law in terms of how to fill forms out and, and how to maintain their records because there are legal requirements for how you maintain records. For instance, ATF and other law enforcement agencies may have to do a trace. They'll find a gun at a crime scene. They'll contact the manufacturer. They'll figure out, based on make, model, serial number, when and to whom that, that manufacturer sold that gun. They'll go to that, uh, often a distributor, or it might be directly to a gun store. Say, all right, who'd you sell that gun to? And they have to maintain those records. And the industry operations really saw it as their job to help people stay on the right side of the law. And, and, and I've talked to gun shop after gun shop after gun shop who have said they've even been told directly by their industry operations person that they're not even so sure they want to stay in the job because they've been told by their bosses at ATF that their job is no longer to help gun stores stay on the right side of the law, to help them operate their store lawfully in compliance with all the different regulations. Their job now is to find any excuse to put them out of business, to revoke their handgun license, their handgun license, their federal firearms license, that is their license to sell firearms. They're looking for an excuse to put them out of business. And, 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 and a lot of these folks, again, they, they get an enforcement action brought against them based on the, the silliest examples of, of very minor deviations from this myriad of complex federal regulations. And that's not okay. Do I think the reins to be, need to be pulled back? Oh, hell yes. Hell yes. That's why I'm participating in the discussion of yanking back on the power of the ATF. Thanks for joining us. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC.